Week three of Advent, today we are talking about joy, as you know by now. I went to prepare this message earlier this week and I was in a miserable mood. So we'll see how this goes. Just kidding. That's good, isn't it? It's good because you know that you're not going to get a fake message. Um, Because we don't always feel joy. We always feel happy. Uh, And so uh, being in a miserable mood gave me the opportunity, I think, to really think through this message uh, and hopefully to bring something that is valuable to you. I think that joy is an act of rebellion. When do you get to be happy? Or when will you be happy? And who's telling you when you get to be happy? There's lots of voices. Some of them are internal, some of them are external, that tell us when we can be happy. We have been told and we have been sold happiness. We have been told when we can be happy and we are being sold all the time on how we can be happy. So it's important for us to be able to ask the question, well, when can we be happy? When you're powerful, when you're rich, when you're comfortable, when you're popular, when you're beautiful, when you're first, when you're winning, when you finally get married, when you have kids, when you get divorced, when the kids move out, when you're retired, when you're on vacation, you can be happy. There's plenty of people that will sell you those vacations. Again, we've been told when we can be happy and we've been sold how we can be happy. I saw a car commercial, not long, actually I've seen it a whole bunch of times um, and it hasn't really worked because I don't remember what kind of car it is, but it's a, a celebrity that most people know and he sits in the car and he tells you that when you sit in this car, all the stress melts away. You seen it? You go, how much? How much? All I got to do is sit in the car. I can be happy. I can be stress-free. There's so many voices that are telling us when we can be happy and what it's going to take to be happy. I'll tell you and I'll sell you on what happiness is. And a lot of us are waiting for it to happen. Right? Well, yeah, maybe when I get there, when I can finally have that, then I will be happy. And I believe that joy or happiness is an act of rebellion. We must rebel against a lot of the voices that tell us that we can't be happy now, but we can be happy when we get what they tell us we need to have. And so today, I want to encourage you to rebel. Luke chapter 2. Familiar if you've heard the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. goes this way, verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's powerful. Good news of great joy. For who? All the people. This is a really big deal. And I want to dive into that as we continue towards Christmas in this Advent season, this season of waiting, and to ask ourselves about this good news. What is it about that proclamation that brings great joy? The Apostle Paul writes this really great verse. And today, I actually want us together, whether you're here in the room or if you're watching online, that's fine. This will work too to do a little bit of memory work. We have a memory verse. We do this with our kids up in West Side Kids. They have memory verses, um, and we try and get them to go home and to read it over and over and to memorize. And when I say this, I know what you're thinking. You're sitting there and you're thinking, Dave, I don't have a good memory. And I've tried to memorize Bible verses before, and I can't really do it. And this is just not going to work out and all that kind of stuff. 
Don't worry. I believe in you. And we're going to do it all together. We're going to do it right here in the service. And it is a verse that I don't want you to forget today as we rebel in joy. It is a verse that the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. I am first going to read it, and then you are going to come along with me. It says, rejoice always. That's fine. I know we got more, but that's the whole verse. Um, it's one of the shortest verses in the entire Bible. The, the one that I think is shorter is Jesus wept. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Rejoice always, Jesus wept. Two of the shortest, maybe the two shortest verses in the entire Bible. We hold those things in tension sometimes, don't we? We'll talk to you more about what that looks like. But rejoice always. Let's memorize that together. Do you think we can do it? I know we're not kids, we're old people that have lost our memory. Do you think we can do it together? Rejoice always. Okay, now you say it with me. Rejoice always. That was really good. We'll say it one more time so that it really gets in the, the neural pathways of our brain. Rejoice always always. Okay, I think you're getting it. Now here's the real test. You're going to do it without me on the count of three. Not me, just you. One, two, three. Amazing. You memorized a Bible verse. You were on the way to memorizing the entire Bible. I bet you could do it. Rejoice always. Well, it's a good start. Let's just stick with that for today. And let's talk about what it means to rejoice always, which means as an act of rebellion to all of the voices that are telling us what we need in order to be happy to say we can rejoice right now. We can be joyful right now and to take that with you. The whole uh, little section there, the whole rest of the sentence says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love that because people always ask me what God's will is. What is God's will? Where am I going to work? Who am I going to marry? What decisions am I going to make? I love this. And of course, this is not the only thing we could say about God's will. But rejoice always. That's God's will for you. Pray continually. That's God's will for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Be grateful. That is God's will for you. And so what does it mean to rejoice? To rejoice means to be conscious of grace. To rebel and rejoice in grace, the upside down kingdom of Jesus. The word to rejoice comes from the same root in the Greek, which the New Testament is written in, as our word for grace. So the same root word. So joy, rejoice, uh, and the word grace, we translate those all slightly different, but they all come from the same root. Isn't that an amazing thing? Because it reminds us that if we're going to have joy, what we need to rebel against is the idea that we can buy it, earn it, conquer in order to have it. That does not work. If our idea of rejoicing is about bigger, better, more, producing, earning, buying, getting ahead, I don't know who we're trying to get ahead of, but we need to get rid of the comparisons, then none of that will work. This is all empty promises. I'm going to tell you and sell you on what you need to be happy, but we need to rebel. Joy is an act of rebellion that tells you you need more and bigger and better and flashier. You need to compare well. You need to fit in more. You need to be more beautiful. You need to be... Blah, 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 blah. Today, we talk about the fact that rejoicing to really living in joy is about grace. And grace cannot be earned. Grace cannot be produced. Grace is received, which means we can rejoice today, no matter what's going on in our lives. I know that's a hard thing to say, because not everybody's having a great day or a great week. 
Some of us, uh, perhaps this season, Christmas season, is really difficult because as much joy as there is naturally for the holiday seasons, we also know the holiday seasons for many of us bring up difficult feelings, remind us of losses that we have endured, reminds us of people that maybe are no longer around the table, reminds us of what we wish could be. And so I don't want you to think that this is just some flippant religious platitude, rejoice always. This is choosing to rebel against the voices that tell us that we need to earn and get ahead in order to be happy and instead to rejoice, to live in the grace and the gift of God that we see on display in Christmas, that he would send his son into this world to show us how much he loves us, to give his life for us. Today, you can choose joy as an act of rebellion and to live in it, to live into the grace. Philippians chapter four was written by the apostle Paul at a time when he was in prison. He was in a Roman prison that would probably make most of us weep the conditions. And he writes in the book of Philippians, I think more than a dozen times, I think 14 times he mentions joy. And I say that to you because as he writes this letter, he's not sitting around a Christmas tree with his family, eating a ton of food and giving out presents and, and sitting in a boatload of money and everything's good. He's in a Roman prison and he's talking to people about joy and rejoicing. And so this is real. This is somebody who's going through things that most of us, we could never even imagine. And yet he's reaching out to this church and telling them, similar to what he wrote in Thessalonians that we just read, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. This is the Christmas message. The Lord is at hand. Jesus came and he preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's available. That God is working in your midst. A reminder at Christmas time that this world is filled with all sorts of things that ought not to be here. Pains and struggles and sickness and hurts. But that this world is filled with the presence of God. Rejoice. Rebel. Against that which tells you you cannot rejoice. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. So here's Paul writing to a, a church who's struggling, and he's struggling, and he's hurting, and he's in pain. Actually, in this letter, um, I'm going to paraphrase this, but part of this letter, he says to them, basically, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. They might execute me. I might not last long. I, you get the feeling in the letter of Philippians that he thinks the end is very close for him, that this is it. And at one point, he basically says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but you know what? If I die, I'll be with Christ. I can deal with that. That's his whole life. I want to be with Christ. I want to know Christ. And if I die, I know I'll be with Christ. And if I live, well, I've got you. I'll be here to serve you and love you. To choose joy. To rejoice. Even in these kind of circumstances, it is incredible. So let's go back to that bit of the Christmas story that we read. Where the angel comes to the shepherd, he says, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. Catch the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The sign, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Born to what we learn is a poor family, Mary and Joseph, who aren't even married yet who we read later when they go to dedicate Jesus in the temple and ought to bring a lamb. Don't have enough for a lamb, so they bring pigeons, which is the, the allowed sacrifice for those who couldn't afford a lamb. 
So baby born to a poor family, not a pharaoh, not a Caesar, not a president, not a military strategist, a baby who there was no room for. Humble circumstances. Filled with people who are limited and who are struggling. Not just Mary and Joseph, but the people of Israel who were occupied by the Romans. People who were hurting. Fear not. That's how it started. Fear not, fear not. Why fear not? Because the baby will turn the world upside down. This is what the sign tells us. That this child, this savior who has been born, good news of great joy for all people, will turn the world upside down and everything that you expect, everything that you think you need, will be completely toppled. So fear not. Are you poor? Fear not. You don't have enough? Fear not. Jesus born to a poor family. Are you persecuted? Fear not born to a people who are under siege. Are you unimportant? Fear not. You don't compare well? Fear not. You don't fit in? Fear not. You are least or last or unimpressive? Fear not. This will be the sign to you. Not a palace, not a military parade, not a lot of hype, but a baby in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. This is Christ the Lord. This is the upside down world of joy that God wants to infuse into our lives. And so joy is an act of rebellion. Rebel and rejoice in grace, the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Because we have a savior as we follow Jesus who is gentle and low in heart. He declares that the first will be last and the last will be first. He says that the greatest will be the one who serves you. The introduction to the the section of teaching that is probably most famous of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, is found in Matthew chapter 5. And to introduce this powerful work of teaching, the one who was born to a stable to poor children, he says this, that when he opened his mouth, he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, blessed, uh, God's favor is upon. There's one translation that translates the, the blessing here. These words blessed as happy. Happy are those, joyful are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And the call is to rebel and rejoice and grace the upside down kingdom of Jesus. What do I need to be happy? Who is it that is blessed? Who is it that is happy? Those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted. You go down the list. You get what I mean. You say, these are not the people that generally we associate with blessing and happiness and joy. These are the people that we say are down and out, the people who are on the margins, the people who can't get ahead. And that is Jesus' point. You're always told what you need and how to get what will make you happy. But Jesus comes and said, blessed are you who are in need. Blessed are you who are dependent. Blessed are you who are in trouble. God's favor is upon you. And so joy is an act of rebellion. Rejoice today. 
Oh, but we would assume God could not be blessing these people. They don't have a lot. They're not winning. They're not even safe all the time. Joy is an act of rebellion. God's favor is upon you. Right here, right today, you have everything that you need to live in grace and therefore to have joy. To say, I don't live in the world. I don't have to live by the standard of the world that tells us, here's all of the ways that I need to get ahead and I need to work and I need to earn and I need to produce so that I can finally be happy. I can receive today from God everything that I need. And when I realize and trust that, I can have joy. I can rejoice. Rejoice always, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful, even when things don't look the way that they ought to. And that is not, by the way, a cop-out or ignorance of the fact that there are in this world many things that should not be in this world. It is an acknowledgement that even though this world is full of pain and struggle and toil, Christmas is a reminder that the world is also full of the presence of God. And so we look for it. We look for the grace. We look for the blessing. And when we see it prayerfully and gratefully, we rejoice. We trust as again the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Not that there is nothing wrong in our lives, but that even the things that are wrong in our lives, God can work out for our good. It's hard to trust that in the midst of it. But again, we have the Apostle Paul writing to us, not from comfort and luxury, saying, oh, it's easy for you to say, but from prisons and hardships and shipwrecks and beatings and being arrested and saying, I believe that all of these things can and will be worked out for the good of those who are called according to the purpose of God. So we rebel and we rejoice in grace, the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Everything turned on its head. Hebrews, verse, Hebrews chapter 12 puts it this way, speaking of Jesus, Jesus who was not just born and, and lived kind of a, a good, nice life, but as we uh, might know, uh, Jesus who was born into this world lived a difficult life and then was arrested and was beaten and was crucified, was killed in an unimaginably uh, painful way. Hebrews 12, after listing uh, what some people call the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, which is a list uh, of people who didn't have an easy life, but in trust responded to God in faith, oftentimes stepping out into very difficult and unsure situations. People who believed that because of what God was doing, they could put themselves out there. They could be on mission, the mission of God to bring his kingdom, to receive his promises and to move on. And so you get all these people from scripture uh, that we read about, and, and these are the real people of faith. And then we get to the, the end of that section in verse 12 says, therefore, thinking of all of those people, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people who can say, I suffer, but it's worth it. There's something better on the other side of living in faith, even through the struggles. There's something more to look forward to. Since we have witnesses to that, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that he saw that was had, the rebellious nature that he, he had, that he he said, you can arrest me, you can beat me, you can crucify me, and I will still see that there is joy. I will still see that God can work this out for good. 
He went to the cross and he endured it. This is how you endure because you say these situations, this circumstance, this struggle doesn't define me and it doesn't define my life. The grace of God defines my life. And so we can rejoice for the joy set before him. And I wonder how many of us would think, what is the joy that is set before us that maybe looks like it's on the other side of a struggle? But for us to rebel and to say, I will choose to rejoice because I see that joy coming. I want to talk about that in just a a minute, what that might look like for us as a a church. And to remind you to rebel and rejoice in grace, the upside down kingdom of Jesus. The savior of the world is the one who lays down his life for his friends. The one who has overcome the world, not with the might of a military, but the sacrifice of love. He's the lamb who was slain and stands victorious, crucified, yet resurrected says, behold, I bring you good news of great joy, the savior of the world, born in lonely, lowly circumstances to declare that he has turned the world upside down. And everything that we might expect flipped on his head. This is the story, this is the story of Christianity. It's the story of following Jesus. It's the story that says, there's a resurrection after crucifixion. It's, it's the story that says, if you want to find your life, you lose it. It's a story of looking for, for joy, even as we endure sufferings and pain. We choose joy. It's an act of rebellion against all the voices that tell us all the other things that we need to do in order to be happy. Happiness and joy is the same thing. In the Bible, there's no, it's not, I know sometimes people make differentiation. There's no word for joy and happiness. Sounds a little bit more religious. And maybe we might sometimes differentiate between a passing happiness that really isn't lasting and a deep joy. Yes, that's true. The word here is the same, joy, happiness. And I think it's what God wants for us. I think at Christmas, it's, it's this message, good news. The good news. Good news is not just a prescription of how to live. It's a declaration that the victory is already won. So that's why you can have joy. The victory is already won. I get it. There still rages on these struggles. It's very real. We'll be honest with that. We grieve that. We can mourn that. Remember, we hold intention. Jesus wept. He saw the things of this world and wept. But then with Paul, we say, but rejoice. Because in our humble circumstances, in our dependency, in our hurts, that's where we find blessing, God's blessing, God's favor poured onto us. In fact, that's where we should expect that we would find God's blessing. It's all through the Gospels. Wherever Jesus goes, and people expect, well, you know, people who look great religiously and people who have some status and some power, this is probably where God's favor is going to rest, and Jesus just will not have it. He goes to everybody else, and that's one of the reasons why the religious leaders were so against Jesus. You can't do that. These people, we got to get them in order. We got to get them doing the right things. We gotta, there's an order here. We have to, Jesus goes, nope. <laughs> Joy is upside down. Joy is the opposite of what many of us expect, what many of us have been told, and what many of us have been sold. I want to talk to you a little bit uh, as I finish Speaking about joy today, um, what I see for us as a church coming to 2022. Can we do that? Um, Because I would love for this message, for us to be a people of joy and a people who spread joy, for us to be brokers of uh, the things that we've talked about this month so far, of of love and uh, hope and of joy. And next week, we'll talk about peace and uh, what what I think that might look like. 
Sometimes my best times of prayer, I find, meditation and reflection, just for me, personal thing, um, is oftentimes when I walk. For whatever reason, just I like to walk and spend time with, with God and to pray and to listen and to meditate. Uh, and, and oftentimes that's when I feel like God speaks to me. And I've been walking lately in our neighborhood, as I often do. And I like to pray for our neighborhood. Uh, I like to drive through Dundas and Ancaster because I believe that God has put it on our hearts here at Westside to reach out to those areas of our city. And uh, as I was doing that, I, just something... Something came to me recently, so I'll share it with you. Some of you here today, you're students at uh, McMaster, some of you at Redeemer, even Mohawk, and man, we're so glad that you're here because um, over the last decade or so, that's always been important to us because we see at McMaster, you students, you're at this time of life where you're making these decisions about your life and who you're going to be, how you're going to set out uh, in adulthood and on your own, and you're becoming educated and you're thinking of your vocation. And, and I hope some of you are thinking about how you're going to serve God with your life. And it's this pivotal, pivotal time in our lives, this young adult phase, whether you're in university or college or whatever else you're doing, maybe you're taking a, a, a gap year or, or working for a while, whatever you're doing, it's this pivotal time. And so it's amazing that you're here. And by the way, we know that right now you're in exams and finishing up papers, and this is a stressful time time, uh, you can rejoice today. I know it feels a little bit like, I'll rejoice when exams are over. And I hope you will, and I hope you'll get a break and rest and celebrate, and that'll be beautiful and wonderful. You can rejoice today, too. You can have joy. Because your grades, your marks, um, they're, they're important. It's good for you to work hard, but they're, they're not who you are. It's not why you're loved. And so today, you can just grab onto that and maybe uh, take some time off and just rebel a little bit. Um, so your pastor said I don't have to study today. Um, just rebel in God's grace. I know sometimes in school, just like in work, it feels like uh, I'm just always working to prove myself. And uh, it's good to work hard. And again, that's important. But you don't have to prove yourself. You're loved. There's, uh, as we oftentimes have seen students come here, like I said, we're, we, we love that so much. Um, one thing I've noticed is that there's, there's all kinds of churches that love to uh, serve students. And some of your schools, uh, whether it's Mac or Redeemer or Mohawk, there's actually buses that come to your school from churches. I don't know if it's happening this year, I haven't checked up, but there's buses from different churches in the city because they all recognize the great opportunity and students have unique challenges and we want to serve you. And that's true. We, oh, it's so important to us. We, we don't have to send a bus because you're right there, which is great. Uh, for those of you who are at Mac, at least, and we appreciate those who come down the mountain from other schools. Um, there's, there's churches from other cities in some years that have sent buses to reach out to students. Just say, that's our mission field. That's been an important part of our mission field at Westside uh, in the last 10, 12 years. The other day I'm walking in our neighborhood at the end of our street, Whitney Avenue, and there's these two buildings that are city housing. And the thought just occurred to me, what church has said that's our mission field? Not to take anything away from student. Guys, we love you. And we will continue to serve you and all that. And there's lots of areas. But I just, all of a sudden, I'm feeling like God's calling us in Ancaster and Dundas at the end of Whitney in all these places around us. And God is just calling us into the margins, 2022. Just saying there's people who believe they can't have joy, people who are stuck in their circumstances, people who have spiritual needs, people who have material needs, people who have physical needs. And there needs to be a group of people who go, you know what? We don't live 
in the order that says, you got to pull up your bootstraps and figure it out for yourself. We live in the order of grace. And so we rebel with that joy. And we live in that joy. Because here's what I think. When we go to those places where, you know, Jesus lists in the Beatitudes, blessed are these people who don't have enough and who are mourning and who are going through difficult circumstances. I believe if we go to those places, we will find God is working there and we will find joy. We say, this is what God, this is what Christmas is about. You can look up as, oh, there's a nice world, but it's not going so well. I hope they can live up to my standards. Sends his son into this world. And I just believe everything we've been saying to you guys about invite someone for Christmas Eve. Pray about who you can invite for Christmas Eve. You know why we do that? Because we're trying to create an environment where we celebrate this message and where our friends and family members can celebrate hope and love, peace, and joy. They can hear the message of good news, of great joy that is for all the people. You know, this fundraising that we're doing, and Zach's going to tell you at the end of this service a little bit more about where we're at. Um, we're fundraising for the first step financially of us to get ready to, to uh, hire another pastoral staff member on staff. Do you know why? Because we want someone who can help us build community amongst us and amongst our neighbors in a powerful way. Because I, I believe that God is calling us to the margins. I believe God is calling us not once in a while to try and figure out how we can help somebody out there, but to be the kind of church that lives out what we talk about in our neighborhood, the kind of church where people say, man, I'm glad those people, those people sacrifice. And so when, we, when we're putting this stuff out there, when, you know, and I'll just be honest, we're asking you to make some sacrifices. We're asking you to be courageous and in inviting some people, which I know sometimes can be uncomfortable to invite people to church or have a spiritual conversation. I'm asking you to do it. We're asking people to give some money sacrificially. And first of all, thank you for those of you who've already sacrificially given because we're, uh, we're getting there. We're about 15,000 away from our first goal uh, by the end of the year that we're hoping. Um, but we started with, with a little more than 41,000 that we needed. So we're getting there. We're going to need some more people to step up and, and to help that out. And when I say that, I am not saying, hey, I want to guilt you into giving money to a church. I'm not saying I'm going to apply pressure to give money to a church, to invite people to a church. I'm saying, what if there were some of us who, for the joy set before us, said, I don't mind sacrificing some of those things because I live in an upside down world. I believe that joy is upside down. And so when we ask ourselves, What's going to make us happy? What's going to make us joyful? How are we going to get there to be reminded that joy is an act of rebellion? We rebel and rejoice in grace, the upside down kingdom of Jesus. So Heavenly Father, there's needs all around us. Um, there's needs for some of us in this room that we can't fill without you. Uh, this Christmas, we pray um, for those who have had a difficult time, who have been struggling, uh, for whom Christmas maybe is, is, is hard, brings up difficult emotions, and we pray that your joy in a way that uh, we couldn't manufacture is infused into our lives and our communities. And we pray for the world around us and, and the needs that are there in Hamilton and Ancaster and Dundas, and pray, God, that you would be putting on our hearts and molding our hearts such that we'd be the kind of people that would say, even when it's hard and even when it means a sacrifice and even when it's tough, we see the joy, not the guilt or the pressure, the joy of following after Jesus, who for us gave everything. Give us a picture of what living in the upside down 
kingdom of grace looks like. And God, uh, we pray that you would help us to enjoy that life for all that it's worth. In Jesus' powerful name.